With the release of Steamboat Willie on November 18, 1928, Walt Disney Animation ushered in the golden age of cartoons. When Steamboat Willie debuted, the United States was still enjoying a moment of nearly unparalleled wealth and prosperity. The cartoon, which clocked in at just over seven minutes, undoubtedly provided quick entertainment for kids. But the story it told, of a working-class mouse thwarting its abusive boss, was still relevant to adults in a time when unions were at their strongest. It's often said that animation either can't or won't deliver messages meant for anyone other than children, but I don't think its value is really lost on anyone. After all, cartoons are used in advertising, re-election campaigns, propaganda going all the way back to World War II. And after the war and with another colder war brewing, the same animation industry that made victory bonds and paying taxes fashionable made communism and the threat of nuclear war terrifying. The golden age of animation would last another three decades, but animation would continue to thrive afterwards. Disney would create a multi-billion dollar enterprise out of its feature-length cartoons. Creative teams like Hanna-Barbera innovated new ways of making animation faster and cheaper. Companies like Hasbro invested in animation as a way to sell more merchandise. Warner Brothers would partner with DC Comics to create an animated version of their universe that stands the test of time and Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network would birth the careers of modern animation gods. Ultimately, it's difficult to talk about any aspect of contemporary animation without talking about Fred Siebert. Siebert is a producer and the former head of Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and he is nearly single-handedly responsible for the rejuvenation of American animation in the 1990s. While at Hanna-Barbera, he produced cartoon incubators called What a Cartoon and World Premiere Cartoons. These anthologies birthed shows like Dexter's Laboratory, The Powerpuff Girls, Cow and Chicken, Johnny Bravo, and Courage the Cowardly Dog. When Hanna-Barbera and the rest of Cartoon Network was sold to Time Warner in the mid-90s, Siebert started his own independent production company, Frederator Studios. He continued producing anthologies for both Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, and through these efforts, he got to see shows like Chalk Zone, My Life as a Teenage Robot, and The Fairly Odd Parents picked up and turned into long-running series. One cartoon of note that Siebert is responsible for getting greenlit is Pendleton Ward's Adventure Time. Ward created the Adventure Time pilot for Random Cartoons, one of Seabird's incubators on Nicktoons in 2008. After being rejected by Nickelodeon twice, Cartoon Network picked the show up and ran with it. Adventure Time is a really charming cartoon, probably best known for its unique and colorful animation, its emotionally complex characters, and its surprisingly rich storyline and it's received plenty of accolades for that. Since 2010, it's won six primetime Emmys and a slew of other awards. But maybe more importantly, Adventure Time itself has served as its own incubator, a proving ground for cartoonists wanting to make their own art. We kind of know the story from there. Several storyboard artists from Adventure Time's staff have gone on to make their own shows, like Pat McHale and Over the Garden Wall, 
Natasha Allegri and Being Puppycat, and Ian Jones Cordy with his recent debut, OKKO, Let's Be Heroes. All of these shows share metatextual DNA with Adventure Time, either in terms of animation style or in the way in which their stories are told or in how characters are portrayed. But in my estimation, one show sits above the rest. Steven Universe is Cartoon Network's adorable coming-of-age story about a kid with magic powers living his life and having fun with his friends. I believe that it's also one of the most radical shows on television today. Created and produced by Rebecca Sugar, Steven Universe is unapologetic about its radicalism. Characters and character arcs deal with queer, polyamorous relationships. An entire episode revolves around falling in love and running from the police. The series' main villain is a group of authoritarian leaders from an alien empire obsessed with conformity and control. In other words, what I'm saying is that Steven Universe is a show that absolutely teaches the importance of honesty, communication, and love, and it's great for that. It is ultimately a very compassionate show for kids to watch. But it's also a love letter to anarchism. To quote Steven, we're going to smash the state and then go out for pizzas. Welcome to Anarchy in Beach City, the Steven Universe fan podcast. I'm Trevor Holt. So, I became a fan of Steven Universe pretty late in the game, about a year and a half or so after it debuted on Cartoon Network. A friend of mine pestered me to watch it until one day when I was at home sick, I binged the entire first season. Even at 10 minutes an episode, this was a gargantuan task. It took me the better part of 8 hours to finish the entire thing, and when I was finished, I remember sitting there in a daze. This might have been because of the cough medicine that I took earlier, but the, the sheer brilliance of Steven Universe definitely contributed. The art was so beautiful, every note of music resonated with me. These characters had such depth, their relationships with each other were meaningful. The story, oh my god, the story. Sugar and her team, known to fans as the Crooniverse, know how to craft a great story. One thing that veteran fans of the show know, and as I got to experience firsthand once I caught up, is that every single detail in this amazing cartoon is important or potentially important. Every audiovisual decision the crew makes is deliberate. This leads to a lot of theorizing and obsessing over little details. It's funny, one of the characters in the show, Ronaldo Fryman, is supposed to be this weird, conspiracy-obsessed kid, but really he's one of us, one of the fans coming up with wild theories about what will happen to him next, and what will happen in Beach City next, and what will happen with the crystal gems and all of this stuff. That's what this podcast is. It's the result of a wild theory I had out of the blue one night. When I told my best friend who introduced me to Steven Universe in the first place about this idea, 
uh, they laughed. And I don't think it was malicious, uh, obviously. It was it was a, like, oh my god, this is, it could work kind of laugh. I want to see where this goes. And at the end of the day, I'm even open to being completely wrong. You know, the show might not have anything to do with radical politics or anarchism specifically or anything else like that. But it's fun to think about. And I want to try it. So, let's get cracking. I expect that episodes of the show should be coming out every other Friday, uh, unless it's a holiday, or I'm sick, or some other disaster happens near me. Until Steven Universe comes back in February 2018, I'm pushing for this podcast to be a mix of interviews with anarchists, my friends, or other people who like animation and Steven Universe, as well as analyses of past episodes, and maybe some more personal pieces of radio. After Steven Universe comes back, well, we'll have to see. One final thing I do want to say as sort of a disclaimer, the show is meant to be all in good fun. Do I actually believe that Rebecca Sugar is the second coming of Eva Goldman, here to blaze the trail for anarchism in the modern age through subversive animation? No, but it would be pretty cool and it's fun to think about. I don't expect her to ever come out and say that Steven Universe has a radical message, either. This podcast is simply a fun thought experiment, a what-if scenario. So, as far as this goes, um, I'm not taking myself too seriously with this, and neither should you, but I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope, you know, you'll come along with me for the ride. More in a minute. Welcome back. It would be remiss of me to begin an exploration of Steven Universe's themes without talking about the characters, starting, of course, with Steven. Spoilers ahead, so if you haven't finished Steven Universe, or if you haven't started Steven Universe, or if you are in the middle of Steven Universe, but, you know, you're not quite at the end yet, or I don't know, uh, you just don't want spoilers, uh, maybe skip this part and uh, move on to the next section, which I'll put a timestamp for. So, according to the show's own timeline, Steven is currently 14 years old, and one of the most interesting things about him is that he's descended from a super powerful alien rebel who liberated Earth from her own kind thousands of years ago. Okay, 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 I, I take that back. What actually is the most interesting thing about Steven is that he's so unflappably kind. Now, he's not always happy, and there's not this overwhelming sense that everything is sunshine and rainbows for him, but he's always kind to everyone and everything he meets. And that's where we're going to start focusing on. Consider the centipedal, for example. This is a monster that appears in the very first main episode of Steven Universe. It's an acid-spinning, many-legged beast that tries to kill Steven and his friends, the Crystal Gems, from the get-go. When it's defeated, the gems contain it in their underground vault until Steven accidentally lets it go in a later episode. When that happens, he befriends Centipedal and tries to train it to be domesticated. He even takes it on a mission with him, where after all of this time it's spent with him, 
It literally gives up its current form, its life, for Steven's safety. In an even later episode, Steven tries to remove the corruption from Centipedal, turning it almost entirely back into the gem it once was. It only works temporarily, but he's able to forge an even stronger connection with them before the corruption overtakes them entirely. Thanks to his gem heritage, Steven has several superpowers. These powers are all tied to or activated by his emotions in some way. His tears heal and revive people, clear out gem corruption, and they can even resurrect his human friend Lars in a recent episode. Depending on how happy he is, he can defy gravity. If he or his friends are in real danger, he can summon a shield or a full-on bubble to defend. What's really interesting is that all of these powers are meant to help support his friends. He's not an attacker by any means. If, if we had to classify him by like classic uh, video game conventions, he would be you know a healer, a support, uh, support person. He's always there for his friends, no matter what. And his friends include so many different people. The supporting cast that we see the most include Garnet, Amethyst, and Pearl, the remnants of the Crystal Gems. Uh, these are fascinating characters with complex story arcs and personalities of their own. Uh, you have Garnet, for example, who is a gem fusion, one of the rare gem fusions between two separate types of gems. You've got uh, Amethyst, who was born on Earth and literally doesn't understand what exactly, what exactly is going on with the gem war. And you've got Pearl, who, of all of the characters, has the most complex and fraught relationship with Steven because she was in love with his mother, Rose Quartz. You've also got Greg, Steven's dad. You've got Connie, Steven's best friend. Sadie and Lars, employees of the Big Donut that he's made friends with and so many more. And these characters do more than form a support network around Steven. We see their lives and their fears and the things that make them happy. And we get this context not because we need a filler episode or something like that, but because it's important to Steven's worldview. You see, Beach City is a community and it's, it's a small town, it's on the coast of the eastern seaboard of the United States, in a, I guess in a fictional town or area called Delmarva, which is sort of Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia mixed together. And he's almost entirely surrounded by family at this point. All of Beach City is his family. He knows the Frymans, he knows uh, Sadie and Lars, he knows the people who work and who sort of live around fish head pizza. And all of this stuff contributes to the sense that Stephen and his community are tied together. And this is part of the magic that Rebecca Sugar and her crew has woven. We see the lengths to which Stephen will go to protect the community that has helped him grow. One of the tenets of anarchism is something called mutual aid. Mutual aid, according to the Anarchy is Order Collective, is the idea that the evolution of humanity as a sentient species and the emergence of human civilization were the result of solidarity for the needs of our fellow community members, cooperation and mutual support to overcome our mutual obstacles, defend against our mutual adversaries, and create a society in which all who cooperate will mutually benefit. 
Mutual aid is the basis of the village community, the labor syndicate or union, cooperative and collective businesses, mutualist credit unions, mutual insurance, and various mutual aid societies where people volunteer to help others. Peter Kropotkin, a mid-19th century biologist and one of the first anarchists, wrote about mutual aid that as soon as we try to ascertain how the millions of human beings live and begin to study their everyday relations, we are struck with the immense part which the mutual aid and mutual support principles play even nowadays in human life. Kindness with a purpose. Support and love for your community with the added benefit of action. Scott Crow, a longtime anarchist activist and a co-founder of the Common Ground Relief Collective in New Orleans, calls it by another name. He says, Anarchy is more than opposition to capitalism and domination maintained by power. Refusal is only the first step. We are challenged to think of the possibilities associated with our freedom and liberation with our emergency hearts wide open. I've been thinking a lot about emergency hearts, especially after Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma uh, sort of have battered the, the South. Uh, and the people who have come together to you know, sort of pull drowning communities out of the water. And I think a lot about Steven Universe and how uh, the whole show is based around this kid who, you know, knowing nothing else, being thrust into circumstances he didn't want, being told that he is the heir of an intergalactic war falls back on kindness and not on hatred for fellow humanity or hatred for these other beings that have sort of uh, marked his life before he was even born. And I think about all of the things that we have to face, uh, everything that you know, we as a collective society and as individuals uh, are faced with in the coming months and years. You know, one of the many tragedies that have befallen us as a, as a people is the fact that many of us believe it is perfectly reasonable to rip people out of their homes and send them to countries they've never been to because their quote-unquote citizenship is not valid. It's hard to believe that in 2017, where we have so much going for us, where we have so many different technological advances, where we're about to go to space and live in space, that we would view these people as others, and that we would send them to places they've never been to because according to their heritage, they don't belong here. According to our belief system, they don't belong here. When I think of anarchism, I, I don't think of violent rabble-rousers that are looking to smash windows and cause riots. What I think of are people who defend refugees and defend immigrants and defend undocumented people from being taken from a place of relative safety and sent back somewhere where there's a very real chance they might die. And if there's anything that I want to do with this podcast, it's not just look at some cartoon and sort of reminisce about how closely it re relates to anarchism. That's, that's not my purpose here. 
My purpose is to talk about these subjects, this overarching belief system that human beings are free in general, and that free movement, free association, mutual aid, that is what's going to get us into space, and that's what's going to get us into the future, and not walling ourselves and each other off. And these complex topics are no less complex because I'm trying to put them in the uh, framework of a cartoon. But one thing that I would like to do is pledge my support in whatever way I can to any community that is facing oppression or sort of, it's even hard to say, um, I think oppression is really the best place to leave it. From governments, from people and groups that would hurt them. And together we're going to get through this. Anarchy in Beach City was produced by me, Trevor Holtner. Special thanks to Nora Allen and Cooper Williams, my first two Patreon supporters who took a risk with me and supported something that didn't even have a finished product yet. It was just an idea. Back in July when I started this thing and and I I didn't know what I was going to do, you guys put your money where your mouths were, to be quite honest with you, and honestly, I didn't even expect that. Um, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you guys. Um, If you like this first episode of the podcast, you too can consider donating as little as $1 a month to take advantage of some of the sweet perks that we've got going for you guys. So go to patreon.com forward slash Beach City Anarchy, all one word, for more information. Additionally, please subscribe to and rate the podcasts on Apple Podcasts. This helps increase the show's visibility and gets it to more people. Uh, Also, share with your friends and family and whoever else you think might enjoy this podcast. And I hope that um, you guys will come back for the next episode. You can find this episode's transcript, uh, music credits, and much, much more at beachcityanarchy.com. And hopefully, if all goes well, Anarchy in Beach City will be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. For the place that I'm free to live together and exist as me I will fight in the name of Rose Quartz and everything that she believes in I will fight for the world I was made in The earth is everything I've ever known I will fight to be everything that everybody wants me to be when I'm grown The odds are against us, it won't be easy But we're not going to do it alone We are the crystal